Welcome to the CityDAO podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gilbert Williams. CityDAO is exploring decentralized asset ownership on chain, starting with a simple piece of land purchased in Wyoming during 2021. Each parcel of land becomes an NFT that can be owned collectively by the DAO or by individuals just like you and me. CityDAO is a DAO. In other words, it's a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning that land governance, treasury, and other things, including this show you're listening to right now, are all managed by the community. Check out the FAQ at citydao.io to learn more, or check out the CityDAO Discord channel to get all the latest updates. Now let's get started with the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the CityDAO podcast. We're well into the double-digit realm of total episodes live on the show. It's amazing how time flies. And today, we're here with yet another episode of the CityDAO Citizens Series. The Citizens Series is, just like it sounds, all about CityDAO citizens. This is where we get to know each other a little bit better and talk about cool DAO stuff. So today, we have Fabian with us, one of the recently elected CityDAO council members who's now officially finished his 30-day term, which we're definitely going to talk a little bit about today in addition to talking a bit about the process of creating a charter in any DAO, whatever that DAO might be, the CityDAO charter finalization and what to expect from it moving forward and what the impacts might be of it. And also the birth of another DAO coming up called Van Life DAO, which is Fabian's uh, child here. And I want to hear about that and we're going to talk about other stuff as well. So let's just dive right in. Fabian, thanks for coming on the show here. How you doing, man? Doing good, Eric. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks for all your time you put in with the CityDAO council. If you were to slap a number down, like how many hours do you think goes into being a council member for those 30 days? Are we in like hundreds or are we dozens or? Hundreds for sure. I'd say maybe not 200, but I think in that ballpark, 100 to 200. A lot of, lot of hours of meeting with folks and discussing stuff. It was, it was fun and, and researching, you know, and reading and trying to wrap our head around this new paradigm. On the outside, I had opted to just focus on the show here instead of joining the council, just from a time perspective, uh, and you can't do everything. And as an outsider, you could say of the council, it was a little quiet at the beginning, you know, didn't really know what was going on. But then I started hearing a couple times about just immense quantity of meetings and hours and discussions and perspectives and options being put up to the table. And ultimately, it climaxed, of course, with this immense effort that went in clearly to getting the charter to where it is today. I wonder if you could describe to people, like, let's say, you know, someone's listening right now and they're thinking of joining a council on another DAO. Maybe you could describe for us, what is it like to go through a council process and to work with a group of 21 people to ultimately decide what a DAO is going to do? Like, what was that process for you? Thank you. Good question, Eric. So a few times when I was in meetings and and discussing self-governance, right? So that's what we were trying to do through the charter is find the best way that we can govern ourselves our city, our citizens. And I imagined that it was the same process that our founding fathers went through. I know that's kind of a, you know, pretty grand thing, but not really though. I mean, if we think of how, you know, normal cities put their charters together, there's so many ideas and so many decisions that you have to make while you're trying to literally predict the future. And if, you know, if this happens, what's the citizen's recourse? And it was an awesome experience, but it was a very messy and at times frustrating, but very rewarding. So the, the awesome thing about our group is I, I really believe that we had 20 of the most awesome minds of our time. I really enjoyed working with each one of our members in the council. We all had very diverse ideas, which made it fun. And it really you know got me to see things from a different angle. But it also made it so that we had to have 
very lively discussions and a lot of compromising and then just finding the best middle ground and letting go of some of each other's ideas or some of our personal ideas and our egos and and trying to sort through what was going to be the best for the collective long term and then trying to make it work. The last thing I would say to someone that's considering doing that is to jump in. The good thing is that now you have what we put together as a, an example, maybe a starting point that you can use. You can literally copy and kind of mold depending on what the goals are for your DAO or for your organization. And so the timing of this now, if I remember correctly, the council was formed in, uh, what was it, like February 5th or something? What was it? February 5th, I think, first week, second week? Yeah, around there, February 7th, I believe. Now that the council is finished its term, what do you really foresee as coming up next? Is there another council coming up? Is there maybe some more community work to do next? I mean, one of the ideas of doing the council was to start decentralizing more from what there was before. And now that the council's essentially disbanded, does that mean that we're contracting and becoming more centralized again? And maybe it is on the short term, but what is the next decentralized step of evolution here? So as you probably know, is that as a council, we put together a final draft. We literally worked until midnight that very last day. We put in a full day's worth of work. But there was a few pieces that we wanted the community to weigh in on and, and also our attorney. And so out of an abundance of caution, we did not finalize it and put it out there as an official charter within the time period that we had to, which is okay. Because by the time that you're listening to this, the idea is that this charter will be polished up by the citizens. Now we don't have a council. So now we're finalizing this thing as a community of the whole city DAO collective to finalize it and approve it and put it up for a snapshot vote and have it be our guiding game plan. So a few of the things that I really like about our charter is that, first of all, it only needs 51% of a quorum to vote to amend it, whereas the U.S. Constitution requires a two-thirds vote to be amended. Our city DAO charter only requires 51%. And I think that's a good thing because it makes ours more malleable. So if there's anything that we need to change along the way, anyone that's a citizen can propose an amendment. If anything's not working or if things are changing so fast in the space, I think that's a really good thing. The other thing is that the way that it's set up, it envisions having guilds that are going to be the ones in a way running the DAO. And what a guild is defined as basically a group of people that have a specialized interest and skill set that's going to help the DAO in certain ways. The ones that we actually specified that are going to be the ones that are going to be more permanent type guilds are the legal guild, a group of legal people that can actually go through and do the day-to-day legal research that needs to be done and communicate with our attorney and kind of facilitate that communication. We also have the operations guild that's going to you know, be in charge of paying people and the missions guild, potentially a community or public affairs guild. And the awesome thing is that anyone can join any of these guilds and anyone can propose and put up for a vote to create a new guild. So we've been talking about having an education guild to have like a city DAO university or city DAO schooling system for our kids growing up. Anyone can propose that or join a guild. Each guild is going to have their own set of systems of how people jump in and how people contribute. So the idea is that it's going to be decentralized in that sense. There is still going to be some centralization because we're envisioning having each guild have a one or more facilitators who are going to be paid roles. And that's another really good thing I, I like about the charter is that once we put it into place, and like I said, hopefully by the time you're listening, once it's in place, 
there is no more council. There is no more centralization in the form of a council. There technically would not be any more core team. So it's really going to be in the hands of the citizens. And citizens are going to have to step up, literally ask for how much they need to get paid to do these roles, because some of these roles are going to be very involved. For example, your role, me and Brames, I mean, what you're doing here is has immense value to our community. I think getting us to speak our truth to a community and having this be a tool to give people an idea of what we're doing is huge. I think this is really molding and getting us to be specific about our intentions and our intentions of what we want for the collective. And, and I think it'll inspire new members and current citizens to start defining and crystallizing their intentions of what part they want to take in the DAO. So going forward, the awesome thing is that as citizens, we get to decide what we want. Personally, I think at this point, once we get this pinned down, I think we're ready to start getting people to propose whether we want to start with this smaller projects like a community co-working house or space or, or a little farm, or if we want to go for a big plot of land and actually start building actual parcels, you know, I think it's going to be up to the community and I'm excited to get, you know, everyone to engage in building this thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it as well. Uh, for people that are listening right now, I'm wondering if you could explain to us a little bit about, like, imagine there's a, let's just say someone buys a CityDAO NFT today and they join the Discord today and they have this great skill set in fill in the blank subject, whatever it happens to be, and they want to contribute to the community. Well, and then someone says, oh, we'll propose a guild. And this person says, okay, well, well, what is a guild? How do I do that? Could you explain roughly how that process works from sort of beginning up until following it through? I mean, I know that there's Discord chat and getting some interest there. There's posting on a forum, the CityDAO forum, and, and having it open for discussion back and forth. There's a bit of a, a layout that people like to follow for the forums so that it's structured in a coherent fashion that's time sensitive. And then there's like a seven day window going into voting. But I'm not actually, I've not formed a guild myself before. I just know that these are things that I've seen and heard so far. Could you explain to us the full process of starting a guild from the beginning? Yes. So one of the things is that we are still trying to figure out what a guild is. And I say that- It's a work in progress then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and that's a feature, not a bug, I would say, because it's up to us to literally create and reimagine what we want a guild to mean in, in our space. We're throwing these names around like guilds and subdows. We're literally making these names up as we go. And it's a completely new space. So if somebody's jumping in and wanting to contribute in a certain way, the way that we define it in the charter is that it just takes at least two people to put together a written proposal. And it's outlined there in the charter as far as exactly what needs to be in that proposal. But it has to be at least two people. And then from there, the written proposal requires them to say, you know, why do we need this guild? what skill sets are going to be needed within this guild, what compensation and how many hours approximately on a quarterly basis are the people in this guild going to require. And then we foresee there being at least one facilitator. In some guilds, you know, some of the bigger projects, potentially multiple facilitators, and the facilitators will be the ones that, that are literally kind of running the guild. And it's more of an involved role. So they're the ones that are going to be naming their price, per se, as far as proposing within that proposal or approximately how many hours and what the proper compensation should be. And then it goes up to the forum for people to go through. Once it gets a certain number of likes, then it goes up to a snapshot for the community to vote on. If the community approves it, then we're off to, you know, off and running. If not, then there is a potential to reestablish the proposal and put it through again, or maybe see if, if that can be merged into a current guild or a more encompassing guild. 
for example, this podcast, I, I know there's also other forms of media that are going to be helpful. So I know there's been talk of having the podcast be part of the media guild, where we have like newsletters, podcasts, video content, be part of one larger guild. And then, you know, within those guild proposals, you propose a budget for equipment, for independent contractors that, that we may have to engage. If you're listening to this and you're a bookkeeper or an accountant, we need those skills quite a bit. I think those skills would be under operations or finance type guild. Again, we're still trying to sort through. It's literally now in the hands of our citizens as a collective for us to make this thing happen and keep it moving forward. When I think about this, I get so excited because to me, we've just created jobs right out of nowhere, out of thin air. There's now jobs that exist with a budget to pay people for, and people can now quit their regular job and physically have a, a real prospect of working in a decentralized DAO fashion for whether we call it a blockchain venture or a DAO venture or a crypto venture, a decentralized venture, a human betterment venture, whatever you want to call it. The prospect exists now for anyone in the community to essentially quit their job if they want and use their skills to the benefit of CityDAO by focusing themselves. It's like a startup within a startup. It's applying for a job that has no boss, right? There is no boss of CityDAO. The community is the boss and you're held to the standards of the community as a collective. You can't just bring in coffee one day and then get your superior or your manager to overlook something that you may have not done correctly, so to say, because there's how many thousands of eyeballs are going to be watching your guild, watching you perform inside CityDAO. It's fascinating to me that this is a evolution in job creation. And I never really saw it that way until you were explaining it the way that you're explaining it right now. I suppose that that's inevitably going to create a scenario where people might be cash grabbing. And if they haven't yet, it will happen. You know, knock on wood, but it's inevitable just through law of numbers that people will be proposing wacky ideas with wacky budgets and maybe even zero experience looking for a quick approval to be able to get compensated for something that they may or may not be qualified to do. And on the, on the flip side, we may be able to truly attract talented people away from typical traditional jobs and into the DAO space as a transition in their professional careers, potentially for the rest of their lives. And we might start accumulating that type of talent over and over and grow our, our talent pool to be such that we're forced to be reckoned with. And it's probably going to be a little bit of both. And it'll be really interesting to see what types of proposals come up in the next 12 months and how well the community does in filtering and selecting. And we have to assume that not all selections are going to be right and not all the right people are going to be the right fits. And of course, we're leaning towards a majority percentage where hopefully like 70 or 80% of our guilds succeed and people succeed and that goes forward. But there's inevitably going to be a little bit of struggle and a little bit of people that uh, don't maybe succeed and have to deal with, <laughs> for lack of a better word, getting fired by the community or stepping down volitionally themselves. Do you have any thoughts on that subject? You know, I'm really kind of exploring this for the first time. Just while we're chatting right now, it's opening my mind up to this concept of employments inside the DAO. Definitely. I think going back to the genesis of why I joined City DAO, personally, I think a lot of us are very disillusioned by our current governing system and our politics and, and this whole, you know, putting on a show for that fourth year when you're getting elected and then just kind of writing that election for four years. I think this City DAO gives us an opportunity to really, like you said, you know, reimagine and help be a part of the evolution of the way that we govern ourselves with networks instead of top-down hierarchies that I think are outdated now. So I, I think the system is set up for people to literally take ownership 
And ownership comes with responsibilities and obligations, just as much as it comes with freedoms and having more choices. So I think it's going to be up to our citizens to really look at these proposals and actually, you know, exercise their right to vote on Snapshot and support the people that are doing good work that have the right intentions. I've been amazed by how well you can really gauge people's intentions and ambition and their willingness to do good for the community. You can really tell by people's writings, you know, just by how they interact on Discord. And even more, I think you can tell by how they speak about what they're doing or what they want to do, what they're proposing. So I think it's going to be up to us as citizens to really hold people to what they say they're going to do. And like you said, I mean, the charter does have a very clear and direct ways for citizens to literally fire facilitators that are not delivering on what they promised. And I really have faith and confidence that as citizens, we will be able to see the people that are doing good work and that are going to do projects and guilds that that are going to advance the mission. And I, I think we'll do a good job of weeding out the ones that aren't, you know, for the ones that, that it may not be a good fit. And I think it's an experiment. I, you know, like going back to the founding fathers of the United States, you know, I think they had no clue whether this new democracy would ever work. And and I think we're at a similar, I really believe it's a similar turning point where we're self-governing through a new, more community-focused system. I think it's going to depend on how much we're engaged in and just the work that we take ownership of. So if I do a thought experiment with you here, and I imagine... I mean, we don't know what CityDAO is going to look like in the future, and we don't know what decentralized governance is going to look like in the future. And of course, CityDAO, in my mind, and in a lot of people's minds, is an experiment to try and find out the answers to those scenarios and those questions. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But when I look at the concept of a decentralized voting in a, let's say, at a, at a countrywide level, obviously, we can't have every single item that exists in politics or in human interaction to go up for vote. That's not really possible. But we could say that maybe there's going to be certain people in charge to execute on general initiatives that are outlined. And maybe there's voting done on those general initiatives. And again, I don't know what it's going to look like. But I would imagine that something as serious as going to war, for example, might be something, in my mind anyways, and I'll just share my own vision anyways, is that something as serious as going to war would be something that would go to community vote. And I like the idea of allowing the citizens of a country to have explicit decision-making or voting powers, I should say, on whether or not to allow government to engage in a war or initiate a war or whatever it might be. And I think about the reason this comes to mind is I know a couple people that are in Russia who don't support the war, don't want anything to do with it, but they didn't really get to vote on whether or not the war was going to happen. That was a top-down authoritarian style decision. And of course, now it's filled with propaganda and it's obviously a very tragic situation for the world, but specifically for the Ukrainians. And I think to myself, if a vote was put out to the Russian people whether or not to go to war, would the vote actually have ended up in a majority yes? And my speculative answer to that is that no, I don't think the majority of people would have voted to initiate a war unless their brains were filled with propaganda before the voting went out, of course. And that's a a different subject altogether. And maybe you feel differently. I don't really know. But I'm just sort of framing this concept of individuals voting on important government level decisions. And what this means to me is if a country votes on moving forward in whatever direction it happens to be, maybe it's about something to do with shipping policies, or maybe it's to do with, think about the Canadian truckers, for example, if if there was a, a citizen's vote on how to deal with that, if the end result of the vote didn't work, right? Let's say with the Canadian truckers, if the end result vote was to move forward with exactly the way that Trudeau actually did, 
and obviously resulted in, in a complete uproar and violation of rights with so many people. Who are we going to blame now, if not ourselves? When we remove the authoritarian top-down style decision-making and put the decision-making into our hands, who do we have to blame now other than ourselves? We can't blame Trudeau for a decision that we made and he executed on. It's not his fault that we voted on it. It is his fault if we don't vote on it and we don't like the results. But the concept of what Dow, in my mind, is proposing is a reversal of the decision-making to be from bottom up. And it makes me wonder, are we ready to burden the results of the decisions that we have? Are we smart enough to make a collective decision that is for the benefit of the individuals within it? Or would we bugger that up? And I have no answers to that. I'm wondering if you've thought about this subject a little bit or if it comes up inside the council chats. Man, that's a deep question. We did not include that in the charter. We should have had a war clause in there. I actually, I don't, I don't think... Well, we, I mean, that, that's what amendments have, are for. Yeah, Don't be exactly. hurting yourself. I'm not criticizing at all whatsoever. I mean, just to put it official on record, what you guys did donating that much time in such a difficult environment with a time pressure on it is, is outstanding. And I'm super grateful for that. So I want to make sure that the appreciation is there and the gratitude is there. It's just a thought question, you know, where we're going yeah. next. Yeah, of course. You know, and and I, was, I was kind of supposed to be a joke. I, I see what you mean. I hope that we're not going to war with other cities or countries. But, <laughs> but you know, that, that's a very good question. You know, I think the first part of your question, as far as, you know, obviously our thoughts go out to the people in the Ukraine and, you know, and other war ravaged parts of our planet, like Yemen and some of the other places. I think war is one of those things that has plagued us for a long time. And I would like to think that we're ready to move beyond that. But the reality is that that's something that we still have to think about. You know, as, as far as the city DAO itself, I think it would make sense to have somebody propose something like the police guild or security guild. Actually, it didn't come up in our discussions in the charter, but it would make sense to have that type of folks, you know, helping to protect the city. One thought that comes to mind is that a lot of the thought leaders in network cities that I follow are more in support of localized self-governance. So cities governing themselves as, as opposed to having a country type governance. And the idea there is that at the city level, people know, have a better gauge as to what are the needs of the people, what things that they're good at and they can produce to export. But at a countrywide level, you're spreading yourself a little bit more thin by trying to cover too many cities in too large of an area. So I think the future, I would hope, would go towards that, towards having more autonomy within cities and having cities being able to govern themselves. I would hope that that's sooner rather than later. But like you mentioned, I think the reality that we're living in currently is that Unfortunately, nuclear weapons are a huge issue. And the question is, if we do move towards this more localized self-governance of cities, who's going to keep the nukes or what's going to happen to all these extreme weapons? And I don't have the answer yet. You know, we're still thinking through it and hopefully ideas will come out of this. But I guess the, the other thought that comes to mind is that one of the thought leaders that I follow, Balaji Srijivasan, I apologize for not pronouncing his name right, but one of the thoughts that he has is that not just him, but just in general, I think the next war, in, you know, we're already seeing it, is going to be fought in the cyberspace, you know. I think the dynamics of those is, are going to be hopefully more humanitarian, you know. Hopefully once all our drones kill each other, we'll just have to surrender instead of having their drones come towards our civilians, you know. So I, I guess the, the idea there is that I think having network cities that interact with each other and help each other out will make it so that war is obsolete. But yeah, that's a really good thought, a really good point. And 
something we definitely have to spend some of our time on as far as, you know, thinking through and, and trying to find the best solution there. To me, I see it as a calling for all of us to smarten up, myself included, all of us, we have to get smarter. If we're going to be making decisions and taking responsibility for them, it's so easy to pass a criticism on a leader. It's so, so easy to just look at someone and say, you did that wrong. But it's a whole different thing to suggest this a real solution and to suggest a solution that considers all the factors at play. Almost any political decision that we see at a high level is the result of factoring in often hundreds of different variables at the same time, which is, I think, one of the predicaments that often politicians end up in is, how do you please all people? And the obvious answer is you can't. So which groups are you going to focus on and what's going to be your guiding principles and and ethical foundation in order to make some of those decisions, knowing very well that at least if not a small part, then sometimes a majority of the people are going to be upset by the decisions that you make. So to me, I see decentralized governance as a calling, and I'll put it very bluntly, for the entire human population to increase our average level of intellect, our average level of capacity to absorb information, consider different variables, and come to intelligent solutions and thoughtful solutions and effective solutions. And I don't know what percentage of people are capable of that right now. I don't know that I am because I don't know all the variables. I haven't been in a position to make higher level political decisions and have to bear the results of them. So it's a calling for myself as well. But to me, I see this whole concept of decentralized voting and governance as a reason and a, and a, a rally point for all of us to focus on becoming better people. And if we can be better people individually, then by default, the collective group of us, whether that's a township or a city or a state or a province or a, a country, become stronger because a country is just a representation of individuals grouped together. You can't have a strong country with weak individuals, right? You need strong individuals to have a weak country. And conversely, you can't have strong individuals with a weak country. It doesn't make sense. So one feeds the other. So I'm excited about the concept of this decentralized governance as a calling to become better people in who we are. And again, this is a subject that I haven't really explored other than bringing it up right now. But anyways, we're on a tangent here and I'm, and I'm going deep into philosophy, which I, I tend to do accidentally. Tell me about yourself, Fabian. What, what do you do in your day job? How did you find CityDAO? And like, why did you join in and dedicate hundreds of unpaid hours for something that may or may not work? <laughs> yeah, so I'm an attorney. I'm an attorney out of Washington State. I'm still keeping my day job just because I love what I do. I'm a civil rights litigation attorney, and I represent people normally against governments or companies that don't do the right thing. And I really enjoy that. I've gotten, I would say, pretty good at it. And then I'm also a van lifer. So I'm, I'm a I joke that I'm a traveling attorney. I was able to put my queen-size bed, a small kitchen, my desktop, and my printer and scanner in a big Sprinter van, and I've been on the road Wait, for about Wait, queen-size bed in the van? It's a queen-size, queen-size bed. Oh, queen-size. He's still, still. You're balling, man. Yeah, and uh, I have a composting toilet, a, a shower. It took me a year to build out. It was a very meditative but sometimes frustrating process, and now I'm a huge evangelist of the van life. As you mentioned, I'm birthing van life DAO as we speak. That's one of my other projects. And as far as how I got into the crypto space and the Web3, I first invested in my first Bitcoin back in 2017. And I've been just kind of a spectator, just uh, kind of investing and really believing in the technology. But then in September of 2021, I started to learn about NFTs. And then I, I stumbled across City DAO. And again, just being disillusioned with our current form of governance and how City Dow provided an opportunity to attempt to try and experiment at a new form of community ownership of a city and community governance. It really called to just a lot of things that I've been thinking about and working on. So 
I jumped in and it's been a huge learning curve. Once I learned about it, just really dove deep into Twitter, a lot of blog posts, a lot of YouTube videos. And yeah, I'm really excited about this space. I'm part of a few DAOs. A city DAO is one of my main ones, as well as MoonDAO. MoonDAO is working on decentralizing the research and space travel. So we're actually sending people to space on a Blue Origin ship this summer already, even though it just started in December. So I'm really excited about the opportunities and this new paradigm that Web3 is putting forth. And I'm excited about the potentials of it. It, it is a tool, kind of like fire. You can burn yourself, but you can also use fire to cook a scrambled egg, you know, make coffee. So I think it's really important that as a community, we use it for good and we learn what it can do. I think it's a completely new space that I'm really excited to be a part of. Now I'm on the Van Life Dow Twitter right now. Is that your white van with the antenna on it? Yeah. What is that sunset? That's a beautiful view. What is that picture about? So that's in Idlewild. That was one of my first times that I camped. It's in Idlewild, Southern California. I parked there and then... I'm an ultra marathon runner. So I parked there and then I, I, there was a marathon around those mountains there. And I was able to hang out there. That was my view for a lot of the days from the office, you could say. And I found some spots that have really good internet, just as good as I would have at home. And then I just make sure that there's good internet and a Trader Joe's nearby and I'm set. So it's been a good experience to travel around the country. And, and I, I call it the new American dream because it used to be you had to work your ass off for 40 years. And when you're 65, maybe you'll get to retire and then you'll get to get the RV and then you can actually travel and, and see our country. But van life provides an opportunity, especially now that a lot of our work is remote, provides an opportunity to flip that upside down and, and be able to travel and see our country and our continent. I've been blown away by how vast and how diverse a lot of the little towns that I visited and just hung out at coffee shops and Currently, I'm actually in Austin, downtown Austin. I've been here for about a week catching the South by Southwest Festival. And like I said, I still have to get my work done during the day. But then once I get my work done, I have an opportunity to check out a new city and, and get to explore. And yeah, so it's been life-changing, to say the least, and, and eye-opening. It's been an awesome experience. I'm looking at the image of your van right now, and it looks a little bit newer, maybe like a, what is it, a Chevy something? I'm not sure... But it yeah. has no windows, which it's like a cargo van. It no windows. And, and at first I looked at that, I'm like, wow, why would you choose a van with no windows? But then I thought, well, if you're going to be sleeping in there, you don't want people looking in. And you want it to be pitch black at nighttime, I'm imagining. Is that the thought process? I'm just guessing here. It, totally. Yeah, good eye. Yeah, so the idea is, so I, if you look on the sides, it has those very small windows on the sides, and then it has a vent on the top. So those are more for ventilation. But yeah, a few weeks ago, I spent a few weeks living literally right downtown Denver, I spent a couple months living right downtown LA. Wait, wait, what does that mean? Are you living in a like in a populated parking lot and, and this is your home there and you come out and you're just right there in the parking lot? Yeah, so it's right downtown and it's during South by Southwest. So I'm paying $16 a day for parking. And if I'm in a parking lot and they allow 24-hour parking, so I rarely have to pay for parking, but I'm doing it right now just so that I can be close to the action for the festival. Most of the time when I'm in the suburbs or out in the mountains, it's very doable to find free parking. But right now I'm making an exception on that just to be close to the festival. So is there like an exception around RVs, for example, where an RV, you need to have a dedicated RV site that has hookups and all that, whereas a van sort of slips in behind and you don't have to deal with some of the regulations, for example, you can just park where you are? Exactly. So yeah, good question. So the idea, you know, a lot of people say, why not just get an RV? Nowadays they're just as expensive. 
So my van, I went all out just because I knew I was going to want to live in it for a while. So it's a 2019 Sprinter van. It's a Mercedes 170 inch wheelbase four by four. And the idea as far as the van is that it's a lot more maneuverable to do off-roading and an RV, you'd have to be very skilled to be able to park an RV at a regular parking lot within a city. Most of the time with an RV, you have to find RV resorts or parking places outside the city and then commute into the city. And the other idea too, is that my van is fully self-sustaining. I can literally go up into the mountains for three to four weeks. It's solar powered. So I can power my desktop and my fridge and my kitchen with my solar panels. I have a 40 gallon water tank that I use for just drinking and showers and doing the dishes and stuff. Wait, you have a shower in there? Yeah. That's amazing. The reason there's not as many windows is, is just so it's more stealth. Just like in your home, you don't want your neighbors to be looking in. So you close the blinds, you know. So I mean, same idea with the van. If you're going to be in a populated city, you want some privacy. I can be throwing a party in the middle of the night in my van and the shades make it so that people can't tell that I'm here. It's definitely stealthy in that sense. And the idea is to be able to have it be more flexible as far as being able to make it into a city, but also be able to live up in the mountains or by a beach somewhere. Fascinating. Can you stand up inside? Like, what's the height? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually 6'2". I'm not sure what that is in centimeters, but the clearance is about six five or so. So I have a lot of headroom. Not a lot, but just enough. Well, one of my favorite things to do is long distance motorcycle trips where I don't plan anything. I just ride until I'm tired. And then whatever motel happens to be around, wherever I wrap up for the day, that's where I end up sleeping. That's been super fun. I've done a few of those. Of course, you're not protected from the elements and there's limitations and you have to find the motel. I never really looked at the van life from this perspective before. It sounds really interesting. And I never thought that you'd be self-sufficient to that particular degree. I'd answered a lot of my questions there. And what's a bad boy like this cost? I mean, I imagine by the time you hook it all up and it's all ready, it's got to be over 100K or something, right? Probably like 150 or something. I'm not sure. What is it? Uh, yeah, very good guess. So I think for a rig similar to what I have, I think it's anywhere between 100 to 200,000. If you wanted to already yep. be ready to go, you know, turnkey. Like I said, I built mine out myself, not counting the labor. I would say I put in about 80,000 with the cost. I bought it new. So it was about 60,000 for the van and then I put in about twenty to 25000 for the whole build. Uh, but like I said, I, I really went all out. I literally, I'm renting out my house back in Washington through Airbnb. And I've been living in here. So it's literally, instead of paying a mortgage or rent, I'm just paying off the van. And like I said, I, I went all out. You can build a van, a nice van for ten to 30000 all inclusive if you build it yourself and, and watch a lot of YouTube videos. So I guess I would ask people to not be discouraged by the 100 to $200 price tag because the old school version of van life is actually doing exactly what you did. Me and Brames is getting on your motorcycle and just riding. People can literally get in their car, whether it's a sedan or, or a pickup and just make it work and sleep along the way. Just throw a cooler in there and in your laptop and charger and just stop at coffee shops. And like I said, I got all the bills and whistles, but van life and just living the digital nomad life is very doable in, in any type of vehicle. You definitely want to gauge how comfortable you want to be. And I think the best way to do it is to just give it a try for a weekend and make it happen. And I guess if I may share the Van Life DAO mission, Mean Brims. Yeah, share the website too. I'm, I'm going to put the URL in the show notes here for people to have a look as well. So anyone listening that wants to check out a little more about what we're talking about, there'll be a link here in the URL of the show notes on the website. Thank you. Yes. And if you look on the Twitter or Instagram, it's just Van Life DAO. I actually posted a mini tour, just a one minute, super quick tour of the inside of the van that shows the shower and the bed and everything. But the idea behind Van Life DAO is that 
when you first learn about van life, it's very romantic. If you look on Instagram and do hashtag van life, you'll see pictures of pretty girls sleeping in their van by the beach with the sunset coming down. And there are those moments, but one of the biggest challenges that I've noticed doing van life for a year is, uh, first of all, that it's hard to stay with the community. Our ancestors, when they were nomads, would travel with the seasons and with the herds of animals that they survived from, but they traveled in communities. You know, they traveled as communities. So the idea behind Van Life DAO is that it's, it's meant to create a community, but more importantly, when you start Van Life and the rubber hits the road, parking is a challenge. Like I said, you know, right now I'm parked right downtown, but I'm still paying for parking. Some cities are better than others. For example, San Diego is actually one of the big hubs of Van Life, but the city of San Diego as a whole has outlawed living in your van and there's a lot of places where you just cannot park overnight so parking is a challenge that's one of the first challenges that i saw when i started so the idea with van life dow is that we're literally going to purchase as a dow purchase pieces of land in strategic places some of them right downtown cities some of them by the beach some of them up in the mountains wherever where we decide to get those as a community for us to park and be able to host events and live as nomads before we move on to the next place Actually, something, it's definitely a spinoff from CityDAO. The only difference with van life is that it's, van life is, again, more for digital nomads that we're moving from city to city and just being able to have a place where we can park and create community. So that's kind of the vision, you know, for van life DAO. I dropped a rough draft of the white paper that kind of explains, you know, exactly what I just mentioned. And the next step is going to be to put together, I'm actually working on a condensed and more simplified version of the charter to be the bylaws for van life DAO. And I'm also working on the legal entity. The idea with Van Life DAO is that I'm trying to avoid all the work that we've been doing at City DAO of putting together this charter. When I release Van Life DAO, the idea is that it will already have bylaws and it will already have a little bit more structure so that people that join can literally start looking at places to use as either purchase or lease for the community immediately. So stay tuned. I'm going to be releasing a lot. The goal is to get it out and have it be owned by the community by the end of this month. And that would be March 2022. I figure that if I say it out loud, I'll have to make it happen. So there's, there's a it's lot recorded of- now. Everyone's going to know about it now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I have my work cut out for sure. What about the raise? Are you doing it NFT voting or tokenized? I mean, how much are you trying to raise and what's the minimum entry price for it? And, and is it token or uh, NFT? Good question. It, it'll be an NFT. As we speak, I'm literally trying different blockchains to see what the most cost-efficient and most efficient way to do it is. And as far as the raise, I'm still debating how many people we would need and then working backwards from there as far as the funds that we would need. So that's still to be decided. And, and like I said, I'm releasing a lot of this stuff both on Twitter and Instagram to try to get feedback from the community. So if you're listening to this, I'm always excited to hear about other van lifers and to talk anything to do with van life. So that's still to be determined. Interesting. And you know, I was going to ask you, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned at a city DAO that you can apply to van life? But I think you might have already answered that when you talked about building a charter and the rules in advance. Do you feel that, because this is an interesting subject, do you feel that creating, it's a cost benefit. And if you create the charter and rules in advance, is that really representative of community decision? Or on the flip side, I guess they can always just be amended if people really want to go that way versus the benefit of having a clear onboarding ramp for people to jump in and have a general path and understanding of what this is about and where it's going and what are the general rules. And if you don't like the rules, you can create your own DAO if you want. What do you think about that concept of open-ended, everything's fresh, nothing's thought out versus having this onboarding roadmap already made in advance? 
thank you for asking that. As far as with CityDAO, nobody had ever, as far as I can tell, thought of creating a city based you know, on the blockchain and, and having governance and ownership be on an immutable blockchain and just building from there. So I think it makes sense that our core team started the way they did it and just went for it. I mean, I think that there's no rules. There was no precedent to follow. It's one of those things where I salute them for doing what they did. As you know, you know, we started back in July, I believe, of 2021, and we're in March of 2022, and we're just now getting the structure in place that will allow us to be decentralized. And you could argue that this whole time, CityDAO has been centralized in the core team and in the council. But the idea is that once we release this charter and we have a mechanism that we all can agree on, it's going to decentralize it completely to be in the hands of, of the people. So right now, I'm completely centralized. Obviously, I'm, it's just me. And I have a couple of people that are helping me with the NFT and with the marketing plan and that kind of stuff. So right now, it's completely centralized. My idea is that once I do release it, as soon as I launch the NFTs, it will be completely decentralized to the point where the people that join, if I do something wrong, could literally kick me out and run it themselves. So it'll be completely in the hands of the people. My intention is to literally be something similar to guilds, but a little bit more condensed, where the people that buy an NFT will literally be elected by the other citizens and to be facilitators. These people will literally have the keys to the wallet, the keys to the treasury. And so the idea is that as soon as it launches, it'll be completely decentralized. I think it works well for van life because van life is a very niche area and we have very specific needs like i said the overarching need that i'm hoping to ease for van lifers is having a place that we can call our own a piece of land where we can park and nobody can threaten to tow us i've actually been towed once by the way crazy story were you in when you got towed were you inside it no no i wasn't <laughs> uh, but that would have been even funnier i was out in boston for the first time and i had parked at a home depot that had a big no parking sign but there was a lot of van lifers that we were just kind of ignoring the sign. And the third day I was there, I went on a long run to see the city. And I was out for way longer than I should have. And when I got back, my home wasn't there. And I had to go run to the tow company. But yeah, so, sorry, that's kind of a tangent. So I guess with van life, we're trying to ease that common road bump that we all have as van lifers, which is needing a place where we can park at a cool place by the beach or a cool place up in the mountains with the cool view. And then, like you said, you know, once this is out to the members, it'll have an amendment clause where people can amend it as we go and have it be malleable and, and have it be owned by the community. Well, I'm excited to see how this launch goes. I wish you all the best with it. Anyone who's listening and is interested in checking it out, remember to go in the show notes and click on the URL. You can also just go directly to, was it at VanLifeDAO? Is that the Twitter? Yep. Cool. So check out at VanLifeDAO Twitter. Also, remember to just hop on to the Discord. If you want to say hi to Fabian himself, just jump on a Discord and send him a friend request. He's a nice guy. He'll probably say yes. And you can talk to him more about the CityDAO council and his involvement there and where CityDAO is going next. And he'll help you connect to the right people. You can meet Chance and Lions and Scott Fitz out there and, and just join the community, join the conversations. Think about what skills you might have that could contribute. Are you ready to make a jump? out of your regular job into a full-time DAO sort of decentralized world as an occupation, as a career choice, a career path. This is something that I think everyone gets to ask themselves over the next decade here or less. Is that the jump that they're ready to make? So jump in the Discord, ask some questions, think about what you could contribute. If you have some ideas, throw it down. Everyone's voice gets heard. And usually there's always a reply to anything that anyone posts. You can also reach out to me there. I'm at MeanBrains on the Discord. And there'll be a link, of course, to the CityDAO Discord on the show notes. 
So uh, thanks again for checking in. And, and Fabian, thanks a lot for your time here today. I'll look forward to the continued engaged discussions on Discord and keep me posted on how van life goes too. Thank you, Mean Brains. Thank you for doing what you do, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. It's a lot of fun. I love doing this. So everyone listening, have a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>